It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study. Uh, we've kind of moved into Revelation, and I have told you the way you find out what Revelation means, not Revelations, Revelation. The way you find out what it means, you have to study the Old Testament. Now, we've talked about some things. I've been talking about the cherubim. In that would be pronounced cherubim, as if it were spelled with a K, because uh, that's how it's spelled in the Greek, uh, with a K. But the cherubim were the four-faced animals, and you find these four-faced creatures in Revelation, the fourth chapter. You also find these four-faced creatures in Genesis, the ninth chapter. And you find them in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, the first chapter. And in Ezekiel, the tenth chapter. You find these these four-faced animals. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, they are accompanied... These four-faced cherubim, and I'm going to say this again so that you won't forget it. The cherubim were a, they were a sign of God's covenant. So anywhere you find them, it's about God keeping his covenant with his people. Now, in Genesis 9, God says, when Noah comes out of the ark, he says, I'm going to form a covenant with the fowl of the air. Not E-L, excuse me. I always want to spell it that way. The fowl of the air with the beast of the field, with the cattle, and with man. Now, whenever you find in any of these other chapters, you find the head of an eagle. The eagle in the Bible was the king of the birds. And the king of the beast was the lion. And the king of the cattle was the ox. And then man. And God tells Noah, this is what I'm going to for my covenant with if you notice he didn't put in there fish the fish are out in the water they don't need a covenant they're out swimming around while everybody else is drowning all the beasts and the cattle and man and the fowl are drowning and you're going to have these over in Revelation I was showing you last week and I've had people comment on this that in the book of Revelation, uh, you have to understand what heavens is. Heavens does not mean the place where God lives. It could be. you got three heavens expressed in the Bible. You can take your H volume out of McLennick and Strong, look up heavens, and the first thing they will tell you in heavens, they will say governments, 
governments of the world, ruling class, ruling class, and they will tell you that the heavens is the same thing. When you look up Mount, just look up Mount in your McClunkin stone, not mountain, but Mount. And it will describe a mountain as a capital city of an empire. And you've got two capital cities that's mentioned in the Bible. You have Babylon, which is the mother of harlots, the mother of idolatry, and you have Zion, which is the spiritually Zion is the church the Bible speaks of heavenly Jerusalem we come to Mount Zion heavenly Jerusalem the church of the firstborn so you got these two mountains babbling each other and Zion is going to win then they will say heavens and mount and horns horns is talking about powers each one of the 12 tribes of Israel 12 tribes was called a horn a horn if you look at Zechariah the first chapter and look at the end of the chapter it will tell you the last few verses that four horns took Israel into captivity that would be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire, the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear. And there's a reason for this. The lion being the most regal of all the animals, it ruled out on the lands and ruled out in the uh, Serengeti, the desert there. And the bear is the largest carnivore. That's a carnivore is one animal that eats another. And that's the largest carnivore upon the earth. The polar bear and the Kodiak, they're real close to the same thing. The Kodiak is on Kodiak Island, just off of the coast of Alaska. Both of them can reach up, standing up, can reach to 17, 18 feet. You don't want to confront one of them in the wilderness. So the largest armies that ever lived was Persia. They would take two and a half million men and go out to conquer. And then the Gentiles, or Gentiles, Greece, their leader was Alexander the Great. And the leopard, that was the leopard. And the leopard, I've done some study on leopards. They are a killing machine is what they are. They only hunt at night. They hunt to eat, and whatever they catch, they're going to kill it and eat it. If they catch you, they're going to kill you and eat you. A bear may not do that. A lion may not do that. They may play with you, throw you to the ground, and leave you. Leopard, you are in trouble. You are in trouble while Alexander the Great attacks you. And then the beast with iron teeth, that's wrong. Now, so these are what, when you get into Revelation, the fourth chapter, and the Bible speaks of the heavens, that's talking about Israel. And it talks about, in that 
uh, in that fourth chapter, it speaks of it speaks of the heavens. Uh, I looked and behold, the door was open in heaven. It's talking about Israel, and you can see that by everything that follows in this chapter. And it says that it was a rainbow round about the throne in the heavens. The heavens was Israel. And Israel was the ruling class. God says, if you're obedient to me and to my word, then you can go against your enemy one way, and there'll be seven ways, and it does not matter how many there are. At one time, Israel took 7,000 fighting men and slew 127,000 Syrians. They did that many times. They took a half a million men and went against a million Ethiopians in Second Chronicles, and they slaughtered them, and the Ethiopians had 300 iron chariots. That's the chariots with the scythes on the wheels. And you can't beat that, but they did because their king at that time was Asa. He was a righteous king as long as the king was righteous. doing He had cleaned the land clean, free of Baal and Grove worship. And so he had peace. And when the Ethiopians come to attack him, they had these chariots and they were had these scythes on the wheels and that's and that should have slaughtered the the people. But when the Bible's speaking of the heavens, this is talking about Israel. The throne was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark. The here's the veil right here. The Bible says the veil is the flesh of Christ. The veil is the flesh. And that the the flesh is the bread and the bread is the body in various verses. The body is the church. So this section here would have been like your body and my body, the church. That section was called house of God that was the inner sanctuary and the Bible says Christ is the son of his own house whose house are we the ark of the covenant was sprinkled our hearts are sprinkled so Christ sits upon our hearts and let me just ask this one more time the ark of the covenant when it was sprinkled was it the ark of the covenant's will that had something to do with it being sprinkled. Hog the covenant had no will, did it? Neither does your heart. There is none that seeks after God. Therefore, when our hearts are sprinkled, that's predestination. God has to pick out a people. Then we said in, here's the seven candlesticks, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. The four pieces of furniture on the inside of the temple or the tabernacle. The tabernacle had the same floral, floral arrangement as the temple. And the this is us. Here's the candlesticks. We said that according to the first chapter of Revelation, the seven candlesticks 
is the seven churches of Asia. Seven churches. That's in Revelation 1 and 20. We also said that those seven candlesticks in Zechariah the fourth chapter, that the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord. Well, if the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord, and they're the seven churches, then the seven churches are the same thing as the eyes of the Lord, aren't they? Same thing. So, that's the eyes of the Lord. And to go along with the eyes of the Lord, Zechariah, the first, the second chapter says that Israel is the apple of God's eye. Apple is the word baba. It means pupil. Pupil. So, in the eye, in the eye, the pupil is the only opening spot. The rest of this is two, two. You got the iris of the eye, and the iris is an outer stationary window or wall, and the only opening is the pupil of the eye. And when the light goes into the eye, it goes through. Now, this is out of, uh, you can get this out of uh, Gray's Anatomy, which is not a TV. On your shelf, Jim. Huh? On your shelf. Over there. Over here. Under the Strongs. Okay. This is Gray's Anatomy. They named that TV show after this. This is a book that all first-year medical students get it. They usually get one of these, and it will give you about the anatomy of the human eye. Did you get one of these, uh, Brittany? This is really good. It's got a lot of things in it, and uh, and it'll tell you all about the human eye, and that the outer, this is called the iris of the eye, Iris, and Iris was the goddess of the rainbow. There are seven colors that break off when you when you go into the center of the eye. This is the optic nerve. You go into the, and you got your your lens there. When, when you go through these lenses of the eye, the lens, I've looked it up in the Gray's Anatomy, and they are like one five thousandths of an inch thick. And when you run light through a lens, it breaks off into seven colors. And when you see, you do not see shapes. You see a refraction It's a refinement of colors, refraction of colors. You do not see the corner of this board. You see a refraction of colors. So there's this breaks off into seven colors. Seven is the number of refinement. Sheba is the word seven. And you got sevens all through the book of Revelation. Sheba, and it comes from the word Shabuah, 
or Shabuah comes from the word seven. This is the word seven. Shabuah means to take an oath to God. And when you take an oath, you can't do that without going through a lot of fire. Now, you can have a simple oath when you first come to the knowledge of Christ. But to take a real oath to God and say, I'll die for your cause, that means two, seven, oneself. To seven, oneself. Now, as we move through this fourth chapter, we saw the heavens. You see a rainbow connected to these four beasts. A rainbow. And the word rainbow in the Greek is iris. And the iris of the eye is the outer wall of the eye. And the middle of the eye is the pupil. That's where light goes in and where you can see images. And that's... And when it goes into here, there's a, what they call, right in the back of the eye, it's called the yellow spot. And that's very significant. The yellow spot. And then there is a layer of a membrane that's called Jacob's membrane. That's amazing. Jacob's membrane. That's a layer on the retina the retina of the inside of the eye is a layer there. And that layer, that layer on the, of Jacob's membrane, it's got about 200,000 hexagonal shaped prisms. So they're going to refine... You start the refinement here. The yellow spot begins to further the refinement, and that lining refines the sight. So when you see, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a refinement of seven colors of the rainbow. So you got the rainbow connected with, there in the ninth chapter of Genesis, you got the Lord telling Noah, I'm going to establish my covenant. So the covenant goes with the eagle, the lion, the ox, and man that you find in Ezekiel, the first chapter. And you find it in Revelation, the fourth chapter. Let's look at that again in Revelation 4. First of all, you got the 24 elders. The 24 elders we said last week in the 20. 25th chapter or 24th chapter of 1st Chronicles the 24 elders are the 24 sons of the only surviving high priests Aaron had four sons he had Ithamar Eleazar And then he had two other sons, Nadab and Abihu. I'll get it in a minute. 
or by who. These two were killed before they had any children. So the only surviving sons of the high priest was Ithamar and Eliezer. And all of the high priest, when Aaron has these sons, every one of the high priest came out of one of these two men. When you get down to John the Baptist... He was of the eighth course. And you can find of Abiah. Eighth course of Abiah. And you can find that in the 24th chapter of First Chronicles. It'll show you the different courses. These guys served on courses and they had 24 courses. These two had 24 sons between them. That is the 24 elders. And we know it's the 24 elders because they were the high priest serving God in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. They're going to do something to show. They're going to acquiesce or give their authority over to Melchizedek in this fourth chapter. If you remember, I told you that these 24 elders wore crowns of gold in Leviticus, the 8th chapter, and the 9th verse, Exodus, the 28th chapter, and the 36th verse. And then we find that they serve God, that there are seven lamps standing before the throne. The throne of God is the Ark of the Covenant. There are seven candlesticks out here. This all is figurative language. You'll find the answers in the Old Testament. Then you got the then you have the four beasts. And it tells you so we've got to connect the rainbow with the four beasts in the sixth verse. The rainbow was connected over here. God put his bow in the cloud. It was a rainbow, but it was a war bow. I said it last week. When they were at peace, they'd hang their bows with the bow upward on the wall. When they were at war, they would hang them with the bow pointing down. Now, how do I know this? I've read a whole lot about the Jewish culture and what they believe. Then you got the four beasts and it tells you who they are. It tells you that they were like a lion there in verse 7. The second beast like a calf. The word is mokas and it means a, a, a bull. So there's the ox. And the third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. So these are the same things that you find in Genesis concerning the bow of God. It's a war bow. And what God is saying, I'm not going to make war with the world concerning water, but he didn't say anything about heat or fire. Now, then you get on down in this, and he talks about these 24 elders. They had these crowns on their head in Exodus 28, 
and they had a gold crown, a mitre, which tied it around their forehead, and it said on the mitre, Holiness to the Lord. That's what their golden crowns were. So they're in a position, these 24 elders are in the position of high priest. Position of high priest in the Old Testament under the Aaronic priesthood. Then when when it comes time for Jesus to be the high priest upon his death, he comes to us as the high priest and they cast their crowns at his feet. Don't go around thinking, we're going to cast our crowns at his feet when you get to heaven. You don't have a crown. You're not a high priest. You're a priest, but not a high priest. All the Levites were priests. Levi was the third son of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the third son. But all Levites were not high priests. All high priests were Levites, which had to be a son of Aaron to be a high priest. These are the only two sons that Aaron had left. Uh, They had the two sons, uh, Ithamar and Eliezer, and even Eli was one of their descendants. He was the one that uh, uh, Samuel's mother, Hannah, said, "I'll, I'll give the son back to you if you'll give me a son and Samuel was born and he and she takes Samuel to Eli who was one of the he was a descendant of Ithamar and Eliezer all high priest Ezra comes out of these right here Ezra was a high priest he was the one who they said correlated all the Old Testament now so he cast his Let's read verse 10 of chapter 4. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Only you're worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. We're not worthy. We're out of the Aaronic priesthood. We acquiesce and submit to you. You are it. We're the temple of God. Our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. The law is written on fleshy tables of our heart, but the heart was the place of understanding. You have to remember that. He didn't mean when he said heart, he didn't mean aorta and the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the and the tricuspid valves and the bicuspid valve. He don't mean that. He meant the place of understanding. So here we are. Now what I gotta do, I gotta go back and give you other places where you've got these priests. Everything in Revelation you can document in the Old Testament. It's like, I shouldn't go there right now, but if you go to that sixth chapter, the sixth chapter of Revelation, you'll get the answer out of the Old Testament. Let me show you this real quick. Maybe this will help you to understand. You can find your answers. The reason Revelation seems to be a mysterious book because it is if you don't know the definitions of the people and the words and what they're saying. Now, let me turn back over to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Let me ask you this. 
What were the judgments of God in the Old Testament? Sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast. The, the sword would be when their enemies would come against them. This all goes back to the covenant in Deuteronomy 28. God says, if you're not obedient to my word, I'll send the sword against you. That will be your enemies coming. They'll surround you. They'll cut you off from any food supplies. You'll be you'll be starving. And you won't have food. We, you'll be in a town, and if you're not obedient to me, we'll send in Ben-Hadad the Syrian, and he will surround you. He'll cut off supplies, and he'll sit there and watch you starve to death while he brings in food for his armies. And you will starve, and you will start dying. Your children will start dying, and you will start eating your children. I didn't say that. The Bible says that in Jeremiah, the 19th chapter. It says that in the 6th chapter of Second Kings. They were at war with the Syrians, and two women came to Jehoram, the son of Ahab, and he was an evil man, and he was the king of northern Israel. And Elijah or Elisha was the prophet at that time. And Elisha said, there won't be any. You're going to have your enemy come against you because of you and your wickedness and your father Ahab's wickedness. And you won't have any food. So the baby started dying, and two women got together, and they said, we'll eat my baby today and eat your baby tomorrow, okay? They were agreeing. And then the, the, they ate one baby that day. You say, I wouldn't eat my own children. Have you ever gone for six or eight weeks without eating? There was a, a soccer team down that crashed into the Andes Mountain in South America, and it was cold up there, and it was freezing, and there was ice and snow, and the bodies started freezing, and they said, if we don't eat these bodies of our friends, we're all going to die. So they started eating their friends. The Donner Party that went out to Nevada in the 1800s, they got caught in one of the worst blizzards, and they started eating their own friends. The Bible says, God says, I will cause you to eat your children. If you if you turn is America eating their children? Yes, they are absolutely eating. They're destroying them. Just they're eating them alive. Is what they're doing. And he said, "You do that, and you're going to incur my wrath." And look here in the sixth chapter. So you got sword, famine, and with the sword would come the famine. And with the famine would be no rain. That's what Elijah... Why do you think Elijah come along in the 17th chapter of First Kings and goes before Ahab and says, You will not have any rain for three and a half years. I'm out of here. Goodbye. 
And boy, Jezebel, after he had pronounced that, and after two and a half years and millions of people were dying in Israel, Jezebel said, I'll kill that guy. Well, back to Elisha. Elisha, when Jehoram, these two women go to Jehoram, and they say, we're arguing over my baby. We ate my baby yesterday, and, they won't, and she don't want to give up her baby to eat today. She was It was a dead baby. Read the sixth chapter of Second Kings. Tell you all about it. And Jehoram said, I will kill Elisha for this. Jehoram, that's not Elisha's fault. That's God's judgment. It's your fault and your father Ahab's fault for going after these idol gods. It's the same thing as Christ's mass. That's how bad God hated it. Something else, isn't it? So you had famine, no rain. Sometimes you'd have too much rain. That's what God warned Samuel to tell the people in First Samuel, the 12th chapter. That's when Samuel's going to have the coronation for, for the first king of Israel, Saul. And he says, you better remember all the judgments that God brought upon you. God will send you too much rain. They said, oh no, don't wash our crops away. So if it was no rain, it was just as mad to have too much rain. And Samuel warned them about it. But they didn't pay any attention. Now look, people talk about... Let me say one other thing about crowns. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4 and 2, You are my joy and crown. He didn't say you're one of these pointed crowns that kings wear with with all kinds of precious stones in it. That's not what he said. He said, you are my joy and Stephanos. Stephanos, we get the word Stephen or Stephanie from that. Get those names a, a Stephanos was an oak leaf that wrapped around the head that all the participants of the game received and Paul, Paul wasn't saying you're my joy and crown and I'm going to wear you on my head and I'm going to wobble around everybody hold still up there <laughs> Philippians quit that it's not what he's talking about he's talking about well, let me get on with this. Now, so pestilence would always come with famine and disease. Look at Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, starting in verse 15. I'm not going to read that right now, but he said, If you're disobedient to me, I'm going to send all kinds of plague upon you. I'll send the burning og. I'll send fever. I'll send everything. People say, you hear the charismatic say, God won't make anybody sick. You people are idiots. God says, I'll kill you. That's a permanent sickness. When you go after other gods, he kills 70,000 in that 24th chapter of Second Samuel, simply because David numbered Israel and took credit for their winnings. Now look here. I keep saying, 
you'll find the answers in the Old Testament to Revelation. You got four horsemen. The four horsemen of the apocalypse is not some mysterious thing. If you look real close at this, you got four horsemen and you got the beast, the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're riding. And how long have they been riding? Since the garden. It's talking about what happens when you disobey God. Look at verse 1. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. There's seven seals. There's seven seals, seven churches, seven spirits, seven golden candlesticks, seven stars, seven angels, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven last plagues, seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings, and all of these sevens. All through there. Then I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, a noise of a thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. This is where that God is doing the same thing here with John that he did with Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel was over here in Babylon. And when you reading Ezekiel, Ezekiel was carried away in the second deportation in 597 B.C. And God is showing Ezekiel what he's going to do about 11 or 12 years later in 586 B.C. So anytime you're reading Ezekiel, you got to look at him. He's in Babylon, and he's relaying what's going on in Israel and how God's going to destroy them. That's the way you look at Ezekiel. You look at Revelation pretty much the same way. Now, and I saw and behold a white horse. Now the reason we know this is going all leaders of empires kings and monarchs rode a white horse when they went to oversee a battle Christ is coming back on a white horse but because of the layout of this sword famine pestilence we know that the beast comes on the scene at the end of time the beast is a world ruling system it's not a man don't have time to go through that other than to say that when the Bible says the beast had seven heads and ten horns in Revelation the 13th chapter and it goes on to tell you that the dragon gave him his power, his seat and his great authority. His is a bad translation. His is the word A-U-T-O-U. Autu can either be masculine or neuter gender, depending on the antecedent. 
Antecedents are really important. Antecedents is a noun or pronoun. They translate this his and him. That's wrong. Even Mr. Mounts will tell you that you have to go with the with the antecedent, the gender of the antecedent. You have to go with the number of the antecedent. The gender of the antecedent to him or his is actually the beast Tolterion. Tolterion is neuter gender, so each time they translated or two to him and his, that's wrong. I don't care what the translator said. It was probably some Roman Catholic translator who put it in there. Even in the interlinear Bible, it says it's. doesn't say him. Now, so the beast, we know this has to be in this sixth chapter. The way it's lined up, you've got the beast... Then you got the sword, then you got the famine, and then the pestilence. The answers to that come out of the Old Testament, doesn't it? Right? All right. Let's look at that, that second horse here. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And I went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword. It's going to name the four judges of God here. Then you look at the next horse that comes out and when he had opened the third seal I heard the third beast say come and see and I beheld in a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that I hurt not the oil or the wine. What does that mean? A penny was a denarius. That was a day's wages for a Roman soldier, Roman soldier, or a slave. So what he's talking about is the food shortage. The rich ate, they ate wheat, and the poor ate the oats. When it says, Thou hurt not the oil or the wine, only the wealthy had the oil and the wine. So the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. Then so you've got the famine. That's the third horse here, the famine. It's spelling out sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast. Then, and then he says, And when he opened the fourth cell, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed him. This is pestilence. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. 
And I'm not going to go into the fifth seal. That takes another time. What I'm getting at is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Apocalypse, apocalypsis, A-P-O, K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S, is the word revelation. It comes from apo, meaning off with the collupto cover. It means to take the cover off. What we're doing by defining these things from the Old Testament is taking the cover off. Can you see that? Yes. It's not even hard, is it? When you know what they mean, it's not hard. Now, I need to get back to these four beasts. Let's go back over here. Where did the cherubim start? They started in the garden. Go back to Genesis, the third chapter. These cherubim, they had, they were on each end of the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know whether they had two heads to each cherubim. They also had the cherubim woven into this thick veil. They had them woven into all the veils. This is a picture of God's covenant with his people, along with the rainbow, along with the iris. This is very figurative. Now, we're going to go over here to Genesis, the third chapter. When you see the cherubim, and you look it up in McClinical Strong or anywhere else, you see these these are cherubim from Assyria but Assyria didn't invent anything God had cherubim in the garden the cherubim was to show his covenant let me see here I guess I got it here Well, I don't know where it is. Well, I think I've lost them. Well, I've lost them on here somewhere. But the cherubim look like they came out of Assyria. But Assyria carried Israel away into captivity in five in uh, seven twenty two B.C. And they took the cherubim, it is believed they took them from Israel. When you look here in Genesis, the third chapter, in verse 24, the last verse. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now I want you to go with me back to Ezekiel, the first chapter. The whole point of understanding the Bible is defining the history, defining what's going on. Let me show you something before I go there. Go to Jeremiah thirty-four seventeen. I can't seem to get all these words in. 34 and 17. I'm just going to give you an illustration. 
of of what God said. Therefore thus saith the Lord, ye have not hearkened unto me, they haven't kept his laws. Jeremiah is the last prophet in Israel. He's walking through the streets, preaching to everybody, telling them to repent. Nebuchadnezzar's coming and is going to destroy this town and this nation. Ye have not hearkened unto me and proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother, every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed by the beast unto all the kingdoms of the earth. See, when the beast is referred to, God will say, I'll remove you. And then if you look at Jeremiah 44, look at Jeremiah 44. Jeremiah says more about the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and the beast than anybody in, in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 44, 13. 44, 13. I think it's, yeah. I will take the remnant of Judah. Now, he's prophesying against Judah, the southern kingdom, which is made up of Judah and Benjamin, that have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt. God says, don't you go to Egypt. you got to go over to Babylon, sit there for 70 years, and then I'll have these pagan kings. I'll put it in their minds to give you decrees to come back. And you have to stay there 70 years, but don't go fleeing to Egypt. If you do, I'll have a soldier chase you down and kill you, and they may not even know what they're doing, but I'm going to have them do that to you. And they shall be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt, and they shall even be consumed by the sword and by the famine. They shall die from the least even to the greatest by the sword and by the famine they shall be an execration or to separate and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach let me give you a couple more of these Jeremiah 42 17 and 22 Jeremiah 42 17 so shall it be with all the men that set their faces to go into Egypt you try to run away from my judgment you have to go into Babylon I'll cause Babylon to let you go after 70 years. I'll put it in their minds. And to Egypt to sojourn there, and they shall die by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. And then if you look at verse 22, Now therefore know certainly that you shall be die by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. The beast is the final judgment that carries them off into captivity. I just wanted to verify to you, and if you look at Ezekiel 14, he talks about, I'm going to send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast, and these are my four sore judgments. The word sore is the word raw. It's the word evil. I'll send my evil judgments against you, Israel. Now, Let's look over here in Ezekiel. I want to clarify some things here. It's not so hard if you know what things mean. Studying Ezekiel seems to be difficult 
And it is to a point. But if you know what some of these things mean, it's not so hard to get started and understand it. Let me erase some of this so I can put this on the board. All because Israel went after all these sun and tree gods, which is the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass or Christmas. Same thing. How do we know that? Babylon was the mother of all harlots. And when Constantine tried to amalgamate paganism and Christianity, he brought all the paganism into the church and mixed it with Jesus. And when you have a mixed religion, it is a full, total lie. Now, because Israel went after all these gods for 510 years under kings for about 375 to 400 years under judges 375 under judges God kept warning Israel before they were a nation they were 40 years in the wilderness they were 400 years in Egypt and God says if you go after these idol gods which they did Baal Grove Shemash, Molech, Isis, Osiris, all the gods of the Egyptians. They went after thousands of gods. God scattered Israel. And he had northern Israel scattered in 722 B.C. Southern Judah was scattered in 586 B.C. But southern Judah had three deportations. To deport means to move out of the out of the land. Three deportations. They had two that were peaceful. They had a deportation in six oh five BC, and then they had a deportation in five ninety seven. 96 somewhere in the neighborhood of 597-96 they had the final destruction of Jerusalem and Israel in 586 B.C. these first two were peaceful That's that second deportation is where Ezekiel Ezekiel and Daniel were carried away. They're over here in Babylon. In Babylon. They were carried away from Israel. When the king of Babylon comes in to carry them away. And they're carried about 650 miles. When they carried them away captive... They stripped them down naked. Some say they wore loincloth, but they had their hands tied behind their back and they had to walk 650, 700 miles to Babylon. All because of Christmas, Christ Mass. I need to take every chance I can to bring that out, but in 325 A.D., 
Constantine was the ruler of the entire world and he felt like he was going to lose the empire to a bunch of heathens. Well, of course, he was a heathen. The Roman Empire was, here's Italy, the boot of Italy. Here's Rome. The Roman Empire, they were barbaric. They fed Christians to the lions and to the gladiators. Sometimes during the early part of the day, they'd give Christians uh, a sword to go against these trained killers called gladiators. And if you could overcome, they'd probably let you out, uh, let you get by with being free. You can't take on a gladiator when his job is killing. Well, they would do that. Well, Constantine in 325, the only thing that the beast ruled was on the Mediterranean Sea. When the Bible says the beast came up out of the sea, when it says the beast came up out of the sea in Revelation 13, 1, the beast actually came up out of the Mediterranean Sea. It ruled on the borders of the Mediterranean. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. It's that simple. It's not hard at all. So Babylon was overthrown by Persia. Persia is Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan. That was Persia. And Babylon was Iraq. That's what it was. So, but it, Constantine thought these Ostrogoths, you had all these people that were not under the rule of Rome, and they were Huns that came from the Far East, Huns, Ostrogoths, Visigoths, coming down here, and they were, and Constantine was afraid he was losing the empire. He said, I've got to do something. He was having a hard time containing the Christians because the more he killed them, the more they multiplied. And he said, I've got to amalgamate this pagan church at Rome where they had the Feast of Saturn there, a seven-day festival from the 17th of December to the 24th of December, and they through the Yule log in the fire, and they were worshiping all these gods. See, so he said, I got to pull the gods of the Huns, of the Saxons, of the Franks, of the Vandals, of the Celts. You got all these different pagans here the Bavarians, the Burgundians. These are all heathens. And the only, what's amazing, if you could go look at the gladiator one more time. You see that on TV coming on. Look at the first part of it. Because Maximus was on the border up here fighting the Germanic hordes. That's what Constantine was afraid of. He's fighting them and those Germanic people are sitting around campfires chewing on a leg of something, you know. And campfires are burning and he's taking all his classic uh, army of the Romans up there attacking them. Huns, that's the Germanic people. And he was up there fighting them. That's what the thing of Constantine was about. You can see it in the opening 
opening uh, shots of of the gladiator. So he, what he did, he amalgamated all of this, all this sun and tree worship of these people, and brought it into the church at Rome. How do you know it was the same thing that Israel was serving while they were a nation? Because Revelation 17 and 5 says, Babylon mothered all idolatry. That means Babylon mothered all this that Israel was doing, and it mothered all this Ostrogoth, Visigoth, and so forth. These were the same thing that Israel was involved in all through the Old Testament. That's the Christ Mass. Good grief. I don't know why. You know why preachers can understand it? They don't know what went on in the Old Testament. That's why they can't understand Revelation. Great day. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? What? Let's see if we can cover some of this first chapter. Maybe this will help you to see it. Now it came to pass... Where are you? First chapter of... First chapter of Ezekiel. It came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, in the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives... Ezekiel has been taken captive into Babylon. He is in that second deportation. By the river of Kibar that the heavens were opened and I saw the visions of God. So what God is doing, Ezekiel is over here. God is taking Ezekiel up and showing him what's happening over here in Israel. You have to keep this in mind because he's seeing visions of what's going on, what has gone on, and what God's going to do to them. That's the whole thing of Ezekiel. In the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity. This is going to match up right here. Jehoiakim's captivity will match up with Second Kings, the 24th chapter, because that's where Jehoiakim is taken captive. And who was Jehoiakim? He was the son of Jehoiakim. And who was Jehoiakim? He was one of the sons of Josiah. There's Josiah. And Jeho- Jehoaz was his son. Jehoiakim was his son, and Jehoiakim was his grandson. And Zedekiah was also the son of Josiah. Josiah was the last righteous king of Israel, the last righteous king. When you get to his sons, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, they were very wicked. Jehoiakim had been wicked. But he became repentant when he got to Babylon. So when it's talking about Ezekiel, now the reason I know this, I've studied this. When it says, I was among the captives, this was during King Jehoiakim's captivity. When you look at Second Kings, Second Kings 24. I can't, I gotta watch out because I'm gonna confuse you if I'm not careful. 
in the 22nd and the 23rd chapter of 2 Kings, 2 Kings 22 and 23, this is where Josiah has his great revival. The high priest, Hilkiah, finds the book of the law in the temple and they've gone to repair the temple. Why would they be repairing the temple? Because Josiah's father was Ammon. He was very unrighteous. Or M-O-N, excuse me. His father was Ammon. Very unrighteous man. His grandfather was Manasseh, one of the worst kings that ever ruled in Israel. These are two very evil kings. So by the time you get to Josiah, the temple is just in ruins. Nobody's repairing it. It's gone for 50 or 60 years with nobody repairing it. So they're up there repairing the temple and the great-great-grandfather of Josiah was one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. Hezekiah, wonderful man of God. And Manasseh raised up uh, an Ashtaroth in the temple of God, a tree goddess, caused his children to pass through the fire just as wicked as they come. I thought when I first read about Manasseh, I thought, God, you need to kill him and put him in hell. But in one of the deportations of Manasseh, he ends up in Babylon and ends up converted. But you won't see that until you get to Chronicles. So, by the time of Josiah, Josiah knows nothing about the law of God. And Hilkiah the high priest finds the book of the law in the ruins of the temple. And he starts reading it. And a, the scribe named Shaphan, he tells Shaphan, you take this book of the law to the king, Josiah. Josiah read the book of the law and he began to weep. said, have we gone this far from God? And he had the greatest revival ever in Israel. He went through Israel and killed all the priests of Baal, all the priests of the grove, burnt all the idols, stamped them to powder. And God had said, when Manasseh was king because of the wickedness of Manasseh, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy Israel. I'm going to wipe it clean like a man wipes a plate, turning it upside down. And he says, I won't repent of that. But even when Josiah does all of his righteousness, the Bible says, even still, because of the wickedness of Manasseh, I have promised to scatter Israel, and that's what I'll do. So when you get to the 24th chapter, Josiah dies in that 23rd chapter. He dies there. And then you get to the 24th chapter, and you start seeing Israel be scattered. And it goes into the sons of Josiah. And Jehoiakim became servant three years, and he turned and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And then after that, you've got 
Jehoiakim, or Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and down here in in verse 12 chapter 24 and Jehoiakim the king of Judah went out to the king of Babylon that's what it's talking about in this first chapter of Ezekiel he says this was in the days of Jehoiakim's captivity now let's go back to Ezekiel the first chapter verse 3 the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans. He was a priest descended of Eleazar, or I haven't checked his lineage, of Eleazar of Ithamar. He was a high priest. In the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him, and I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came. What? What is a whirlwind? the chariot when those chariots would take off across the country they would spinning their wheels and it looked like little dust devils they looked like whirlwinds in fact let's look at that what Ezekiel is telling them is what's going to happen to them he is forecasting the chariots of Belshazzar coming to Israel Look here in look here in Isaiah five and twenty-eight. Isaiah, back up to Isaiah five. And this will kind of nail it down for you. Isaiah five. And verse 28. Let's start in verse 26. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar. An ensign is a sign. It's a signal. And will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. Talking about Israel. Isaiah's talking about God bringing judgment on Israel. And behold they shall come with speed swiftly he's talking about chariots none shall be weary nor stumble among them none shall be slumbering or sleeping neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed nor the latchet of their shoes be broken whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent and their horses hooves shall be counted like flint and their wheels like whirlwinds he's talking about the chariots of the Assyrians coming in and slaughtering northern Israel. Because Isaiah was prophesying to northern Israel. And look at Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4, 13. Jeremiah 4, 13. Behold... Well, let's read verse 12 and 13. Even a full wind from those places shall come unto me. Now also will I give sentence against them. Behold, he shall come up as clouds, and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles, woe unto us. Verse 14. 
for we are spoiled and taken away captive. Now back to Ezekiel. If you don't know something about the cherubim or the cherubim, you're not going to know what this is about. If you don't know anything about whirlwinds, let me just show you one other thing on chariots. In Second Kings, the ninth chapter, I like this. God had anointed, had Elijah, Elijah anoint Jehu as the king of northern Israel. And he said, I've got something for you to do. And Jehu was the king of northern Israel under God's... That's one of the things that he told Elijah he had to do when Elijah said, I feel like dying, just kill me, Lord. God says, I'm not through with you yet. you got three things you need to do. you got to anoint Jehu, for one thing, to be king. And Jehu takes off, and he's going to go up. First of all, in that ninth chapter, God anoints Jehu as one of the he has one of his special prophets to go to Jehu and say, you're going to be king of Israel. And one thing you've got to do, you've got to kill all of Ahab's sons. There, any one of them can start a war with you to try to take over the throne of Israel. Kill all of them. So he had all the heads of, of the sons, 70 sons of Ahab, who had brought all this paganism into Israel, brought the bell in the grove, brought Christmas into Israel under, under another name. And God says, I want you to go kill this woman, Jezebel. So he takes off in his chariot to go to northern Israel, and she's at, in Mount Carmel up there, and she's in her palace, and she sees this chariot coming, and it's wild-looking because it's stirring up whirlwinds everywhere it goes. And she sends out a horseman and say to Jehu, Is it peace? You coming in peace? Not until that woman's dead. There'll be no peace. Verse 20, And the watchman, they kept saying, Is it peace? And he'd say, You better fall in behind me. I'm going to get her. And the watchman told, saying, Come even unto them, and cometh not again. And as these watchmen would go and check out Jehu, they wouldn't come back and tell Jezebel that it was Jehu. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Namshu, for he driveth furiously. Jehu was stirring up whirlwinds going up to destroy her. And then Joram said, Make ready, and his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, but he's not God's king. Jehu is. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Naboth was the, was the man from Jezreel that Ahab had killed because he wanted that little piece of land close to his palace. In fact, it was Jezebel that came up. She said, I'll get him for you. 
And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? He went up there and he killed her. Saw two eunuchs up on the wall with her. He said, Throw her down. The dogs came and started eating her body and licked her blood. And that's the prophecy of the prophet Elijah back there in that very end of the of the first Kings, the the last two chapters, that the dogs would eat her blood and drink her lick her blood. Now let's go back over here to Ezekiel. So when he says, Behold, I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, and a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness of it was out of the midst thereof was the color of amber. Color is the word A-Y-I-N. It means and I. Boy, now this is hard to get a hold of. Amber is the color yellow. Out of the middle of the eye was the color of amber. Color is the word iron. means an eye. Remember, Israel was the apple of God's eye. And the iris of the eye is two layers, and the inner layer is a retractable curtain. And when you punch somebody in the eye, that thing starts closing up. God says, when you touch Israel, you punch me in the eye. And I won't put up with that. That's why he's coming back with eyes as a flame of fire. In that 19th chapter of Revelation. It has the eye and the eye of amber. The eye of yellow. Boy, this is kind of hard to explain and get it clear. Remember, the human eye is a wheel and a wheel. The Assyrian war chariots were wheels inside of wheels. Remember there were seven seven colors that when it goes through it starts refining the colors in the eye. The wheels of the Assyrian chariots were made just like the middle of the human eye. You have a star of David right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of the human eye is the is the fovea centralis. It's called the yellow spot. I believe that what Ezekiel is saying God's going to use these chariot wheels to refine Israel. And he's got the four beasts present here in this chapter. That's a sign of his covenant. He's not going to destroy everybody. 
He leaves the poor there. When, when the chariots come in, they have a leader. Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know that he was came in, but his commanding general was Nebuzaradan. And he told, Nebuchadnezzar told Nebuzaradan, this man Jeremiah is an honorable man. He kept trying to warn his people that I was coming. They paid no attention. They hung him in the mire. They wanted to kill him while he was in the street saying judgment's coming. He said, Nebuzaradan, you take care of him. Look after Jeremiah, and you can find that story in Jeremiah, the 40th chapter. You can find the beginning of the end. That was in 586 B.C. When Nebuchadnezzar had his armies come in, and he went to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, we heard that you are really a good man. And that the king said... You were honest with the people. Look at that. I don't even know. How much time do I have? I can come back to Ezekiel, but let's go over there to Jeremiah. I love this story. I love this story. See, Jeremiah's. this is the final deportation. This is the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah's been preaching in the gates of the city and telling everybody judgment's going to come. Jim Brown keeps telling people that in America, and America's not listening to the to the truth. Jeremiah forty. I love Jeremiah. He's one of my heroes of the Bible. I love him and Hezekiah. I mean him and Nehemiah. Okay, forty. This is one of my favorite stories. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar sounds looks kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, but he's the commander, the captain of the host of captain of the guard. That means he's head of the whole army. And let him go from Ramah. When he had taken him, being bound in chains among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Jerusalem, which were carried away captive unto Babylon, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God, evidently Nebuchadnezzar, believed in the Lord, pronounced this evil upon this place, that we're tearing it to the ground. Now the Lord hath brought it, and done according as he hath said, because ye, ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice. They never did obey his voice for 800 years under kings and judges. Therefore this thing has come upon you. You're being destroyed. Bringing down the temple, carrying away all the instruments of the temple, we're, we're going to burn the place to the ground. The way they would do when they would go tear a town up, tear all the building down, burn it all, plow it up with a plow, 
all over the city, sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. And Babylon looked like a wasteland when they got through with it. I mean, Jerusalem looked like a wasteland. And now behold, I loose thee this day from the chains. Oh, wait a minute, let me read three again. And now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said, because ye have sinned against the Lord. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. Get a hold of that. He's recognizing that God did this because they sinned against God. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. Now behold, I loose thee this day from the change which are upon thine hand. If it seem good unto thee to come with me to Babylon, come and I will look well unto thee. This is the commanding general of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, telling Jeremiah, you have been done wrong. You tried to tell these people the truth. They haven't listened. And I will look well unto thee, but if it seem ill unto thee, to come with me into Babylon, forbear, and behold, all the land is before thee, whether it seemeth good or convenient for thee to go thither, will give you land, houses, whatever you want, Jeremiah. They Remember, they hung him in the mire. They was trying to kill him. Israel was trying to kill the great prophet Jeremiah. Now, while he was not yet gone back, he said... Go back also to Gedaliah, who they have appointed to be the ruler at this point of Israel, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon hath made governor. He was made him governor. Over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people, or go wheresoever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. This commanding general is telling, whatever you want, we're going to do, Jeremiah. Because you have been honest with everybody. So the captain of the guard gave him victuals and reward and let him go. Then went Jeremiah to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. And it was the poor. That's all that was left. They had taken away all the artificers and metal. You can see that in that 24th chapter of 2 Kings, that anybody could make weapons. They'd already carried them away in the two, the two previous deportations. Now let's go back over to Ezekiel. I don't want to have much time I've got. So in the midst of these wheels is the color of amber. When I first came across these chariot wheels that were made just like the human eye. I saw this in McClinic and Strong and I went, <gasps> it just took my breath away because I had studied the human eye. And this is a wheel inside of a wheel. Yeah, basically the hexagon or the Star of David. And the yellow was these, the yellow in the middle of the wheel were these scythes that they had on the side of their wheels. They were like, they were like uh, swords. And the color of fire all through the Bible is yellow. 
And the Bible says in Nam the second chapter, when these chariots came in, they ran like the fire. The yellow was in the middle of these wheels. You can believe that when the priests saw these chariots come in, they were aghast. They were, the judgment of God is here. They saw these chariot wheels. When I first saw this, I couldn't believe it when I saw it in McClinic and Strong. It's a wheel inside of a wheel with a yellow spot in the middle. And this is a picture of God retaining his covenant with his people in this first chapter. He's going to spare the poor. The poor remained over here. I don't have time to go to the 24th chapter, but it says the poor remained in the land. Jeremiah said, Thank you, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, but I'll stay here with the poor. They got no city. They got no leader. I'll be here with them and help them. They had already carried away anyone that was military age, carried away all the people that could make swords. They carried away all the people that could make any kind of metal. And the poor sat there, and Jeremiah said, I'll stay here. You can see the poor. That's a picture of the poor in spirit that's going to inherit the kingdom of God. The emptied out, the tokas. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Do I have any time, Mike? Well, I read it last week, right at the end of the message. But these chariots come in, wherever the wheel and the wheel goes, these four-faced beasts goes. When these chariots, the beasts were on the side. Somehow it's been erased off of this up here. But I had a picture of the... I don't think... I've lost them. Somebody's erased them or I lost them. I don't know where they are. But it shows... It shows on those chariots. I'll have to make those up. Y'all put them on there again. It shows the picture of the lion on the side of it. They got pictures of the eagle and various ones on these chariots. So you have the you have the four beasts on the sides of those chariots, and wherever the wheels go, that's where the chariots go and the beasts. But where the wheels go, the Bible says the beasts went with the wheels. This just giving a very abstract picture of these Babylonian chariots coming in to destroy Israel. But the poor are going to be spared. I guess I'm out of time. I got so much more to say on this. I hope I preached on this before, and I hope you can get a hold of this. What Ezekiel is telling them is what God's going to do to them in Jerusalem because of their apostasy. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand your word. We can't understand it without 
knowing the definition of these things. Thank you for all you do. I pray you'll give us strength and fight our battles for us. Lord, I can't fight no more. I don't even want to fight. We'll praise you for all things. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I don't know what happened to some of that stuff. I have lost some of those. Yep, they were. There's the chlorine atoms. Now I've lost them. Thank <laughs> you. 